Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. So for the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about heaven and hell, and I don't want to belabor any of those points any longer, but it does raise another question. And the question is this. Did God create some people knowing that they would go to hell? Or we can even take that question a bit further back in time and ask, why did God put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden in the first place for Adam and Eve to be tempted by? Wasn't that cruel? Is this some kind of big social experiment that God's been running for the past several thousand years? And I'll admit, these are some tough questions. Because if hell really is so bad, if hell really is torment, and a torment and a fire that starts from within, caused by one's own desires, wouldn't it have been better for God to just not make that person in the first place? And does that make God cruel for making someone that he knows in the end will ultimately end up in hell? So first things first, I think we're diving into a subject that is the motives and the thoughts of God, which none of us can really answer. And the Bible tells us we can't answer that. The Bible says that his thoughts are higher than ours, his ways are higher than ours. But in the spirit of not abandoning what we know for what we don't know, let's look at some of the logic around creation and around the nature of God that we do know that has been revealed to us and see if we can come up with an answer or at least a train of thought that kind of makes sense. Because I think when we talk about this issue, we can talk about it on a philosophical level, which is primarily what we're here to do in this show anyway, but then there's also kind of a personal aspect to this. And so hopefully we can come up with some kind of philosophical train of thought that can help us best deal with the personal. And so on that note, I believe it's helpful to consider first the nature of God. And by that, I mean the fact that God is a trinity, that he's presented as three persons in the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and as a singular God. And so if we wind the clock back all the way to before there was a clock, before creation happened, where just God existed and nothing else, which is very hard for us to picture because everything that we picture is that. It's a picture. It's an image we've seen before, a reference point we have in creation. And so we need to remember when we're picturing a time before creation, we have to picture a time before anything we can actually picture. Even to say picturing nothing is still picturing a thing where nothing is the thing. And, and so it's as if you're picturing a void, but a void, void of voids, if any of that made sense. But nevertheless, before creation, we have God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's it. And if you've read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, you know where I'm going with this. Because God is triune, three persons in one God, God is love. God can love. And I believe we've talked about this before. But love, true love, must be selfless, must be self-sacrificial. One must revolve one's life completely around the object of love. And that, of course, is what C.S. Lewis paints the Trinity as, that it's a dance of love, that Father is revolving around Son and Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is revolving around Father and Son, and Son is revolving around Father and Holy Spirit. And it's this dance of love. And of course, this argument falls apart if you were to try to propose a God that's not a trinity. And this is important, and I'm going to get back to this point here in a second, but if you have a God who is a singular person, say like the God of Islam, you don't have a God of love, because before all of creation, 
there was no perfect love. There was no selfless, self-sacrificial love. Now, this God may have delighted in himself, he may have delighted in his power, but to love oneself is quite different than to love another. And so, if you're tracking with me, before creation, there was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there was perfect love. And then comes creation. And God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the animals, the fish, the birds, the stars, the sun and moon, everything in this natural universe that we know, and it glorifies him. It praises him just in its being, but it doesn't love him. Because in order to love, there must be a choice. Creation isn't choosing to praise God. Creation praises God. So in order for God to receive love from his creation, he must create something, create beings, and give them the choice to love him or not. Otherwise, it is the winding up of the clapping monkey and setting him loose to praise him forever and ever for his power, which is revealed in creation. God creating is God using his power, and all creation worships him for that. And so why, then, does God want to create beings that have the choice to love him or not love him, especially if he's already in this trinity, this, this triune nature of perfect love. You see, at first it doesn't make sense, and I'll admit this really didn't make sense to me at first either, until you consider the fact that this is a 100% pure selfless action. And that's rather foreign to us. Not many of the actions that we do are selfless. Even the actions we do of love are often not selfless, right? Often we show love, we're generous, we give affection, and let's be honest, because half the time we know we're just going to feel good. That's not selfless. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm saying we can't be selfless. But what I'm saying is God's nature is selfless. And so God creating beings with volition, with free will, the ability to choose to love him or not, is for each member of the Trinity to selflessly say, I want to invite another being into the dance of love, as it were. And so circle back around, if creation were selfish, if God wanted to create humans just so that we could praise him for his power, well, he would have done so without giving us free will, which again is kind of where another religion, such as Islam, like I mentioned, with a singular God who's a singular person kind of falls apart. Because you have a singular God with a singular person who delighted in his power before all of creation, suddenly creation exists, and now love is supposedly a possibility, even though logically I don't believe this is true, and I'll get to that in a second. And he wants worship. Well, his worship is only him wanting other beings to delight in his power. But it's kind of a malicious way, because he says, if you don't delight in my power, you'll go to hell forever and ever. But that's not, as we've discussed, what the God of the Bible says. The God of the Bible, essentially, in creation, is saying, I'm creating you. I'm giving you breath in your lungs, and I'm giving you complete freedom, whether it benefits me or not. Don't you see? He's, he's saying not just that he's starting an act of creation, but he's going to sustain this act of creation. For most of us, on average, 70 plus years, he's going to allow us to exist in the universe he created. He's going to continually fill us with oxygen, the oxygen we need to survive, and then give us total autonomy, even if there's absolutely nothing in it for him. But you may still be asking, why the tree? Why, when God made humans, did he make two of them, set them in a garden, and say, over there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat of it, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
And then what happens? Well, they eat of it. Wasn't that just God setting us up for failure? I mean, obviously he knew we were going to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil at some point. Why put the tree there in the first place? Well, I think we have to consider the other options, right? So other options contrary to God creating the world that we now know and live in. Option one is to not create the world at all, or at least not create people at all. And we've already discussed that that isn't God's nature, that God is a selfless and totally loving God, and that he delights in good. Ah, but what about that option? What if God were to make a world where there was no such thing as good and evil? After all, those terms can be kind of relative sometimes anyway, right? Like, what if we never had the choice to choose between good and evil? What if we were just amoral beings and we just did what we were programmed to do or what was in our nature to do and that nothing in that nature was good or evil? Or, on a similar train of thought, what if God made a world or a place where there was only good and no evil to choose from at all? Well, you see, now we're getting back to the idea of God making a world with no beings to choose to love him or not. And you might object and you might say, well, no, that, that's not necessarily true because if God were to take away all of the evil in the world and only have good, wouldn't more beings be more inclined to choose him? And if that is your objection, I sympathize with you. <laughs> I have the same objection until, again, I thought about it a little bit more. And I feel like if you take this journey with me, you'll see where I'm coming from on this. But when we say God is a God of love, we don't just mean that when we look at God, we see a God who is loving or we see a God who we would describe as love, we say the very definition of love finds its rest in the person of God. And the same can be true when we say God is a good God. God is a righteous God. That the very definition of goodness finds its rest in God, right? Jesus said the same thing. Why do you call me good? There is only one that is good, and that is the Father. And so we have to remember then that any goodness comes from God. And so if there's nothing but good, there's nothing but God. And that's going to be what heaven's like. But again, remember, heaven is a place for those that have already made a choice, as is hell. And so therefore, there must be good and evil if you're to choose anything but God. Because if you recall, hell is choosing anything but God. And let's remember that heaven is choosing God, but not only choosing God, it's choosing to accept the grace that God gave us on the cross. Because another way to look at it is every single person God creates is on their way to hell because every single person is a sinner. And the only reason anyone can go to heaven is because of another selfless act of love that God performed, which was the cross. And so therefore, it's reasonable to think then that one of the reasons God created human beings is because God is love, that's his nature. Love, in its most purest form, is selfless. And one of God's selfless acts of love was to create beings that could choose to love him back and not just worship him for his power. God had to put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden because it represented the choice to choose between God and not God. And granted, I don't really know that it necessarily had to be a tree. I don't know why it was a tree, other than maybe the fact that the garden was full of trees, lots and lots of different trees, probably every tree one can imagine. 
and that all these trees had lots and lots of different fruits and every fruit that one can imagine. I mean, after all, it's called the Garden of Eden. There was probably a lot more than just fruits there. We know that there were all kinds of animals there as well. And so I think making it a tree is a very, very gracious thing that God did. It's like going to a beach and in one corner of the beach, there's a little roped off sandbox and the lifeguard says, you can play anywhere you want in the sand on the beach. Just don't play in that sandbox. I mean, it really doesn't seem like that hard of a rule not to break when you think about it. They're in a garden full of fruit and God says, eat any fruit you want. But the day you eat of the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And that's the thing too. God doesn't just say, okay, there's this mystical, magical tree over there. Don't touch it because uh, something's going to happen. And I can't tell you what's going to happen if you touch it. God gives them a clear, clear warning. He says, you will die. It can't get any more serious than that. It's not like God was playing around saying, he, 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 there's a cookie jar over there. I hope you don't touch it before dinner. He, he, he. God gave very clear instructions saying, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But, but check it. Everywhere around it, there is thousands of other options. And so why did they do it? Well, they did it because the devil, the serpent of old, made them think they know better than God. He made them question and, and say, maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe God is a cruel God because he wouldn't let us eat from this one tree. Maybe I know more. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't question. I'm not saying don't be skeptical. That would negate the entire point of this podcast. But what I am saying is, that the devil tricked Adam and Eve, not into questioning, but into answering their own questions, into concocting their own answers for why God would do this and concocting them into pride. Because here's another scenario of what might have happened. Perhaps the devil would have tempted them and Adam and Eve would have gone running to God because he walked with them in the cool of the day. And they would have said, God, why did you put this tree here? Do you not want us to have good things? And God would have answered their question. And he would have said, no, see that I've given you thousands of trees. This tree is a choice between whether you love me and, and whether you don't. And perhaps God would have said, I've created you with total freedom, total autonomy. You can choose not to love me, but oh, how I wish you would choose to love me. Because if you love me, it leads to life. And if you don't, it leads to death. And don't think I'm just making this up. We read later on in the Bible when Moses gives the law of God from God that over and over again, God promises blessing if they follow his commandments, if they heed and obey his voice. And he pleads with the Israelites to choose to obey, to choose to follow. He says to choose life, to not choose death, to choose blessing, to not choose cursing. God can't force us to choose him. Nor does he try to force us to choose him. What he tries to do is convince us to choose him. And I guarantee he would have done the same thing with Adam and Eve had they ran to him with their questions instead of answering it for themselves. And how do I know they answered it for themselves? Well, they acted on their own conclusion, right? Their conclusion was God's wrong about the fruit that's on this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm right about it, so I'm going to eat it. And they ate of it. And time and time again throughout history, we have all chosen to disobey God. And so to get to the third question I posed in the beginning of this episode, why does God create people knowing that they will go to hell? And so to break that down, we've already established God creates them 
selflessly. He creates them because he wants to create beings that have the option to love him back. Second, we've established that he gives us a choice, all of us a choice. And this is a choice that everyone has. I truly don't believe, and we can tackle this in another episode, but I truly don't believe that you have to grow up near a church or hearing the gospel preached every week, but that you have to just look out at the world and say, who made this? Who is the God that made this? And knock and ask and seek, and it will be opened and you will find. But that's probably another topic for another episode. Nevertheless, the point is that God has made everyone selflessly. He's made everyone lovingly, giving everyone the choice to love him back or not. And in the end, some are going to choose not to love him. Some are going to choose to love something else other than God. For more on what I mean by that, see the past few episodes on heaven and hell. And just because God knows in the end who's going to choose him and who's not going to choose him, doesn't mean he's creating people just so they can fill hell, right? Because we have to understand that also God is outside of time. And maybe we can do an episode on what that means for the sake of time. I'm not going to get too much into it, but suffice it to say that because God is outside of time, he can then be intimate with every single moment of time. He can then see every single moment of time from the beginning of time to the end of time. Again, it sounds complicated and maybe I'll do an episode on it in the future, but bear with me here. So what that means is that in the moment of time that God is pleading with someone's heart for them to accept him, he is also at that same moment intimate with the moment of time at the end of time where they ultimately reject him. And you and I have some imagination of the broken heart one would have if a loved one, someone we knew on a personal and close level were to go to hell. Now imagine being God knowing intimately every single moment of someone's life and having the broken heart of rejection at the end of it. The pleas that God would have for that person in their life would be so full of passion and love that if you or I were to see those moments where God is pleading with someone's heart in their life, we would say anything but he's a hateful God. And I think we would really understand that just because God knows someone's going to hell doesn't mean he created them for it doesn't mean he wants them to go to hell, doesn't mean he gets one ounce or one moment of pleasure out of it. But it does mean that he's loving in the end, truly, truly loving, because he lets us have that choice, even though he gets nothing out of it. And he wants something out of it. He wants something out of giving us the choice to love him. The Bible makes that clear, that God desires that no one should perish, but that everyone should come to eternal life, to come to know God to come to know their creator. That's why he made us. He made us selflessly. He made us lovingly. And that's his part. And if we cooperate with that and we choose to love him as he's chosen to love us, then both he and us get joy out of the relationship. That's it. Pure, simple, and sweet. We get joy. God doesn't get worshiping slaves and we don't get some cruel and restrictive master We get a creator who loves us, and he gets creation that loves him back. And that's the joy of heaven. Again, I reference The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, where he says, In the end, there are only two types of people in this world. Those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, Thy will be done. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for now. If you'd like to discuss this topic further, as some of you have reached out on social media and email, please continue to do so. I love chatting with you guys. 
It's so awesome to have these super intelligent conversations I'm having with some of you. And so as always, thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show.